Shalom, this is Avigal Rak. Welcome to TanakhStudy.com. Today we begin our second class in Parashat Miketz. At last class, we had followed Yosef, who successfully interprets Paro's dreams. Today, we'll be, today's unit is about Yosef receiving his promotion as a result of him interpreting the dreams. So I will begin our reading in chapter 41, verse 39. And Paro had told Yosef, that being the case, that God has informed you all of this, there is no one who is was wise and intelligent as yourself. We see here that Parot talks about God after Yosef had mentioned God so many times. Parot now himself recognizes God due to Yosef, when he, as he tells him, Hodia Elohim Otcha. Ramban points out that Parot mentions here two characteristics of Yosef, Navon and Chacham, that he is both wise and intelligent, wise and smart, and he differentiates between these, these two characteristics. The wisdom is necessary in order to properly run the Egyptian economy by collecting and selling. We need someone who knows the economics, someone who knows how the amount, the right amounts to sell. And the intelligence is necessary so that one can know how to store such large amounts of food for an extended period of time. So there's no one as wise and intelligent as yourself. And I'm continuing verse 40. You will be appointed upon my house. Upon my house is clearly not simply his own ha private house, but it is the, a king's house is his kingdom. So I will appoint you upon my kingdom. This phrase is a difficult phrase, and the commentators had, had bring here several different interpretations. One of them is that the meshek, the supplies of my nation, will be based on you, uh, uh, on your word, you will decide how much to supply to the people. Ibn, Ibn Qasir says, Apicha Yishak, Yishak from the word Nishika, which is kiss, which was a, some form of respect that you would give to a, a respected person, an honorable person. Perhaps within the Sufaradi communities, we still see some of this. So here it says, Apicha Yishak Kol Ami, you will be a respected, you will be respected by all in my kingdom. Paro concludes here, says, says, you have all the authorities, but remember, I still am the one who sits on the throne. Your second in command, I'm still king. Verse 41, And Paro told Yosef, Behold, I have appointed you upon the entire land of Egypt. And now, verse 42, Yosef is going to be receiving from Paro uh, several different objects that each of them represent his great status. So, Paro removed his royal seal. Uh, the royal seal we're familiar with from the story of uh, Ahasuerus and Haman, and later Ahasuerus and Mordechai, that the second-in-command had the right to the seal. The seal represented the authority to make all royal decisions, so he receives that. And he puts, uh, clothing of linen, and of course the reader here is aware that this is already the second time that Yosef is, be is, re is receiving 
clothing following our theme that the clothing are representing a development of this in the story so yosef was stripped actually twice from his clothing he was stripped once by his brothers before they threw him into the pit and he was stripped once by the wife of potiphar before he he was thrown into the egyptian pit the egyptian prison cell and therefore he as his promotion he's going to be receiving two sets of clothing one set of clothing he received before he appeared to Paro, and the other set of clothing he's re receiving now, Big Day Shesh, which are the, the royal clothing. And he receives Vayasam Revit Zahab al Apparently, there is a royal necklace that he receives, and we're familiar with this royal necklace also from Sefer Daniel. In Sefer Daniel, after Daniel has interpreted the writing on the wall to King Belshazzar, he receives the golden necklace. So, this golden necklace was some sort of uh, uh, necklace. So this golden necklace represented was a, a necklace that represented the high status of the bearer of the necklace. Verse 43. And after he's dressed and he is re he's ready for his first royal appearance through the streets of Egypt, and it goes for a an inauguration ride in Merkevet HaMishneh, in the royal chariot that is intended for the Mishneh Lamelech. It's called Merkevet HaMishneh because it was the chariot that always went second, and the first chariot was the king. The second one was this chariot of the Mishneh Lamelech. And then the verse continues, avrech. As the chariot is traveling, they, call, they yell out in front of him, Avrech, as Yosef is going through the city. The runners who are escorting the chariot call out loud, Avrech, which means, according to Ibn Kaspi, it comes from the Hebrew word Berech, which is kneel, which means everyone get down to your knees. It's sort of Haberech, get down to the knees, kneel, because the second in command is passing through. Make way for the chariot, get the knees, and, and kneel. Avrech. Verse 44, So Pharaoh tells Yosef, I am Paro, and without your permission, no one may lift his hand or foot in the entire land of Egypt. Now, what is the connection between the two halves of the verse? Why is he told, I am Paro, and without your permission, no one can, no one will lift uh, their hand or leg in their hand or foot in the entire land of Egypt. P probably what Paro is saying here, as Paro, I have the right to command this, or perhaps this was just a uh, opening for proclamations of the king, or what he's saying, I am Paro, I still am the king, but you nonetheless have a high position. Very similar to what we read before, you have a high position, but remember, I am Paro. Likewise here, I am still Paro, but nonetheless, you have a very high position. Without you, without your permission, now obviously, this does not mean literally no one can lift up their hand or, le or their hand or foot without your permission. Benezra points out, that no one can go without, no one can leave Egypt or enter Egypt without your permission. We can understand from the context is that you have great authority and you will rule over people in the entire land of Egypt. And 
And finally, Yosef receives a new name. His new name is going to be Tzafnath Pa'aneach. We know in Tanakh the significance of receiving a new name is that you are now subordinate to a new master. Moshe changes Yehoshua Binun's name to from Hoshea to Yehoshua because Yehoshua is his Na'ar. Um, we know many of the of the kings in the Judean Empire, their, chain, their names were changed either by the Babylonian kings or by Egyptian kings, depending on whom they were subordinate to. The significance of these name changes in Tanakh is that one who um, you are subordinate to has the right to give you a name. Interestingly, in this context, Moshe Rabbeinu, we never know what name his parents gave him. We will only know him by the name that of the person who whom he owes his life to, the daughter of Paro, because he he owes her life to him, and she therefore she has the right to give him a name. So Paro gives him this name, Tzafnat Panach. And the commentators here have a very interesting argument whether or not this name, Tzafnat Panach, is an Egyptian name, and if so, what does it mean in Egyptian? Or is it a translation, is it a Hebrew word which is translating the Egyptian name? So indeed, several of the commentators believe that this, that this name, Tzafnat Panach, is an Egyptian name. Ibn Ezra brings two possibilities. One possibility is that the name Tzafnat Panach are Egyptian words. And he says if they're Egyptian words, we don't know what they mean. The other possibility that Ibn Ezra suggests is that the word Tzafnat Panach is a translation of the name that Paro had given to Yosef in Egyptian. So Paro had given some name in Egyptian, and the Torah knows that we don't understand Egyptian, so the Torah had translated that Egyptian name for the reader into Hebrew. And therefore... We have to figure out if Tzafnat Panach are Hebrew words, what do these Hebrew words mean? Sargum Unkelus, translated here, Gavr de Tamiran Mefarsem, a man who reveals the hidden. Tzafnat is the hidden, Mefanach is he who reveals. This word Mefanach is probably a four-letter root. There are several words in the Hebrew language that have a four-letter root, and this is probably one of those cases of a four-letter root. Pa'anoach, pe'ayinun chet, which is not common, but it does exist. And we have some words in the Hebrew language that have developed from this word pa'anach. Uh, For example, to decipher a code is lefa'anach, or to solve a riddle would be lefa'anach. So uh, it's possible that this indeed are Hebrew words or not. Going back to the first opinion suggested by the Ibn Ezra that this name is an Egyptian name, so though Ibn Ezra is not aware of what this name means, in the modern scholarship, one of the more compelling and explanations for this Egyptian name, Tzafnat Panach, is based on the Egyptian name Tzafnata Padianach, which means the provider of life, he who gives life. Be it as it may, Yosef is given this name. This name is not just a change of name which represents subordination, but it's clearly a, na a name that also represents his new high status that he had just received in the palace. Kohen on leisha, vayetze Yosef al Eretz Mitzrayim. Paro gives him Osnat, the daughter of Potifera, the priest of On, as a wife. So we have here um, Osnat, the daughter of Potifera. Potifera is probably not the same as Potifar. Potifar that we are familiar with, his occupation is the chief executioner, whereas this person, his name is Potifera, and he is the priest of the city of On. The city of On is Haliopolis. Haliopolis is probably one of the most important cities of worship in Egypt at the time. It was the city that had worshipped the sun, 
And the fact that he has give, been given the daughter of the priest, is, it's not telling us that Yosef is, has assimilating. We know from the continuation of the story that he has not assimilated, but rather we're told that Yosef is receiving as a wife the daughter of one of the most prominent people in Egypt, which is the priest of the the high priest of the city of On, Biatse Yosef al Eretz Mitzrayim. And Yosef goes out for, for a tour. He goes to tour. Yosef goes to tour the land. Yosef needs to see what are the borders, what where are the storage houses, where are they going to be collected. He has to know where to where's the where 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 to set the headquarters, where to make new storage houses. So he goes for a tour in the land of Egypt by Yosef al Eretz Mitzrayim. So up until now, the past few verses were just told one after the other of the position uh, that Yosef is receiving from Paro. He's receiving the chariot. He's receiving the gold, the objects. He's receiving the royal objects, the royal clothing. He's receiving a royal wife. He's receiving a royal title. And now he begins, he goes into position. He begins his job in verse 46. Yosef ben shloshim shana be'omdolifnei paro melech mitzrayim v'yetzei Yosef milifnei paro v'yavor b'chol eretz mitzrayim. Verse 46. Yosef is 30 years old when he stood in front of Paro, king of Egypt, and Yosef passes through the entire land of Egypt. Verse 47. So during the seven, uh, translating verse 47 onwards, during these seven years of plenty, the land had brought an, an abundance of food. The word that's used in Hebrew is likmatzim. Likmatzim is a handful. Rashbam explains that each stalk had produced a handful of grain, which is an, an abundance of grain. Ibn Ezra explains that each seed had produced several handfuls of grain, likmatzim. And Yosef gathered the food of the seven years in the land of Egypt. And he, t- he collected the food, and that food was put in the cities, in the storage house in the cities. And the amount of grain that Yosef had collected was as the sand of the sea. It was a tremendous amount. They, at some point, they just stopped counting because it, it was without a number. It was endless. It was an endless amount. It, it was huge abundance, and they, st- and they stopped counting. Now we're going back to Yosef's personal life. Meanwhile, in his personal life, verse 50. Now, verse 50, which goes back to describe Yosef's family. Yosef had two, were born two sons before the famine had begun. Two sons from his wife, Poti, Osnat, the daughter of Potipharah, the priest of On. And Yosef had named the firstborn Menashe, for God had made me forget all my toil and suffering in my father's house. And the second son, called Ephraim, for God had made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Yosef has two children, Ephraim and Menashe. These two sons is a very significant change in Yosef's life. A slave has no family. A slave has no continuity. The slaves, if a slave is to have any children, it is from a slave woman given, provided to him by the master, and the woman belongs to the master as well as the children belong to the master. 
Here, Yosef has his own wife and he has his own children. The fact that Yosef has a wife and two children, his own family, is no less significant to Yosef than becoming the prince of Egypt. Let's see the na the, na the, me the names. He names the Vekra at Yosef at Shem HaBechor Menashe. He names the first child Menashe. The reasoning he gives to this name, Ki Nashani Elohim et kol Amali et kol Beit Avi. For God had made me forget my toil and my father's house. So the first child he calls forgetfulness. What prevents a person from building a new life is his connection to the previous life. Now Yosef says, I have the opportunity to build myself a new life. And Yosef calls his name, the son forget. Now, of course, the subtext of the name forget, even though he thinks he is forgetting, when you name someone menashe, forgetfulness, what that really means is that you haven't forgotten. Yosef calls him menashe with a clear desire to begin this new life and forget about the, his, his father's house. If in the name of the first child, he still talks about his father's home, though he desires to forget it, let's pay attention to the name of the next child. This name of the second child is not connected to his homeland at all, is not connected to his past at all. It is only about the present. Because now God had helped me become fruitful in my new land, in the land of my affliction. Ephraim's name also has in it the name Ephrat, which is where Rachel is buried. And it's possible that he wanted to include in the name of his son something of his mother. He wanted to be reminded something of his mother, and that's what the meaning of the name Hifrani. Maybe that's why he calls his son Ephraim. Otherwise, the name should have been Hephraim. Ki Hifrani Elohim. It should have been with a hey. But the name is Ephraim. And maybe that's maybe the reason we have that Aleph there. Verse 54. So as Yosef had predicted, the seven years of famine had begun, and there was a famine in all lands, surrounding Egypt and in Egypt there was bread there was bread bread is a general generic word for food but and the entire land of Egypt was hungry for that bread because the bread is in the storage's house and they ask Paro to provide for them bread and Paro says everyone go to Yosef he will be the he will provide for you Yosef opens up the storage houses and he provides to Egypt the famine is a severe famine and the chapter ends verse 57 so all the all the lands that are nearby to Mitzrayim, the neighboring lands, come to Egypt to be provided by Yosef. The word lishbor is a word that appears here several times, which is to 
to buy. And uh, that's where the chapter ends. The question that some of the commentators address, and now's the right time to really address it, at some point in the story, the reader wonders, how come Yosef is not contacting his family? Over the next few weeks, we'll, we'll give several different answers, but uh, one of the answers that's give, that is suggested by Rabbi Yosef Ibn Kaspi is that as a slave, a slave cannot cannot just make contact. A slave has, cannot just send a message. It's very difficult for a, for a slave to be in touch with his family. So as long as Yosef is in slavery, he was not able to make contact. That's a good answer. However, once he Yosef received his high position during the seven years of plenty, how come he doesn't make contact with his family? An interesting idea developed by Rav Yolbinun, which actually first appeared a few hundred years before Rav Yolbinun, in the in, in the end of the Vilna edition for of the Yerushalmi Masachat Brachot, the printer added his some nice divrei Torah, and here he brings up the idea, as I said, developed later on by Rav Binun, and this idea basically suggests seeing the events from the from the perspective of Yosef, and when Yosef comes to was sent by his father two brothers that hate him and the next thing he knows his brothers uh throw him into a pit and he's sold uh, as a slave and he never hears of anybody searching for him yosef is convinced that his father was somewhat involved in him being sold of course at first that might sound a little bit far-fetched why would yosef think yosef knows he is his father's beloved son why would it even cross yosef's mind that his father's involved in being sold but maybe the brothers gave you uh, gave some sort of ultimatum to Yaakov. It's either us or Yosef. It's either the the eleven of us or one Yosef. And Yosef sees the the precedence. In the past, there was always one son that was rejected, and the other one was chosen. Right? That's what happened with Avram. Avram's two sons, Yishmael's rejected. Yitzchak is chosen. That's what happened with Yaakov and Esav. Esav's rejected. He's chosen, and he believes that maybe he was the one that spoke. That was that was rejected that the brothers convinced their father that they it has to make a choice it's either him or them and the next thing he knows his he's his father sends him to his brothers and his father never searches for him that's why he doesn't make contact with the family and we see that when the names that he gives his children is i want to forget about my father i want to forget it i don't want them to be any more part of my life i want to forget about it and i i, I will start my own dynasty here so if the first son he names forget my father house the next son is it's about him he frani i am beginning a new life here with absolutely no intentions of ever making contact with his house so that, that's I, I like that suggestion uh just two two other ideas just briefly i'll mention here yosef doesn't contact the coins the ramban yosef does not make contact with his family because yosef has this whole plan of bringing his dreams to fruition and if he were to reveal himself to his family then of course immediately that would be following with the family coming down and Yaakov coming down and he needs both of the dreams to be fulfilled which would be only first at the first dream is that only the brothers come down and, and bow down and only later on does Yaakov come and bow down so it needs to be the two-step process and that's why he doesn't reveal himself at first a good question that one can ask about that opinion is since when is it the obligation of the dream to bring his dreams to to fruition. Rav Yaakov Arama, the author of the Perush Akedat Yitzchak, says he who he who provided the dreams will provide the solution. It is not the obligation of the dreamer to bring to fruition the dreams. And finally, a third possibility is that Yosef knows that if he reveals to his father what had happened to him, that his own flesh and blood brothers 
had sold him as a slave or threw him into a pit, this would destroy the family. And in order to avoid this, he is willing to give up his relationship with his family. And he's willing to, and he starts in, and to start a new life. Better not to destroy the family. He's willing to give that all up. And, uh, but of course, man toils, God foils, and that will all change next week. Shalom.